listeners. Welcome back. It's once again time for Maya, my yoga audio. And I'm your host, Megan Morgan. We're back today with another interview with a guest I can't wait for you all to meet, virtually or otherwise. And her name is Griselda Garcia Osegueda. And she is a film producer, a mom, a wife, a first generation Mexican American, and a survivor of childhood sexual, emotional, and physically abuse physical abuse, which greatly altered the course of her and her family's life. Growing up in poverty, but determined to get out of it, she embraced her education and the teachers and mentors who came her way, many of whom noticed her gift for writing, for art, and even producing at an early age. Yes, even as a child, she was writing out and planning productions amongst her friends, family, and classmates. She created worlds where she was in control of the narrative, which provided a much needed outlet for the trauma she was dealing with in her domestic life. While in college, a professor challenged her to submit a screenplay she wrote about addiction and neglect for class to a local screenwriting competition, and she was selected as a winner. So in 2017, she financed and produced her first major project, And from there, she's been passionately working towards furthering her producing credentials, starting a company called Frijoles Entertainment, giving back to others in need through volunteering with at-risk youth and telling her personal story. She's gone on to produce 10 short films. And we first met a few months ago while collaborating on a short film together. And we instantly clicked. Our almost immediate connection and follow-up conversations led me to inviting her to be an honored guest on Maya to talk about her life's trajectory. Griselda, welcome. Thank you so much for making time to come on to the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. And um, thank you for for your listeners and for you. Yeah, yeah. It's always exciting to I feel like I invite people onto the show who do so many things, you know, they wear five hats and you are no exception <laughs> to that rule. So <laughs> in the introduction, um, cause we're complex as humans, you know, we do a lot of things. Um, so I just talked about a lot of the things, you know, I know about your formal biography based on our conversations over the last few months. What would you want to tell your listeners about who you are today And what's on your heart and your mind about who you are in this moment and stage in your life? Oh, so if something I can share about myself is that today I am this um, creation of God that has blossomed into a person who's able to now help others. So I think um, what I want to really say is that during the day, I'm a social worker. And then at night, I'm the Batman comes out of me and I'm the producer of film. And so at night, I write stories or I work on stories. Um, and I tell tales, tall tales, because um, it started long ago when I was a child. <laughs> it did. And I'd, I would love to begin there. We have that shared history in common, writing stories as, as a young kid, as a, a means of escape. But I want to focus on your story, and I'm hoping you would take us back to one of the first times you can recall writing something creative or making something that otherwise helped to, you know, project you into a safe space as a child. 
So as you mentioned earlier, um, and when I was younger, I uh, survived uh, physical, sexual, and emotional assault. Um, I didn't know how to deal with it. It started as early as I can remember. I don't recall the age, but I know it was somewhere under seven. Um, at seven, you start to learn and you start to write. And so you start to also develop a form of expression. And so between the time I can remember my abuse started until I can start to write, mm -hmm. I would watch TV and I would escape. And there was a show called Annabelle that I, I loved because uh, the lady would take tragic things that were either going on in politics, in the world, uh, or just stories from the past, or even stories from the grim tales. And she would make them into these funny comedy type things. So then when I learned how to write, um, because I wanted a safe space to escape all the things that I was going through, because as a child going through that trauma, you felt, you feel scared, you feel dirty, uh, you feel like, you know, unwanted something's wrong with you and so I learned to tell stories and the stories that I was telling was the stories that um, I wanted to hear and I wanted to listen to I wanted to create happy stories because I was living an, an happy an unhappy story and so I would go as far as even like Beauty and the Beast, I'd change the whole story and everything would be happy. There would never be a dull moment. It would just be laughs. It would be good times. And so that was one of the things that I did as a child was to escape my reality. I created these stories to live in them. And then soon after, I started to say, hey, what if I acted them out? So I would write them. I'd act them out. And I was like, oh, I love this, but I don't love acting them out. I would rather produce them and direct someone to act them. So then I started with my sister. From my sister, I added my cousins, the kids next door. From the kids next door was my classmates. And then that's how the whole, I guess, the interest in film or production started. I'm just going to say production because... Mm -hmm. I just started to write stories to produce whatever, whether it was a, a spoof of a video, a music video, a spoof of another movie. I just I just started going crazy and I loved it because it helped me survive my trauma. Yeah, such an such an outlet and that you can even track from doing something creative and writing and starring in it and then like, wait, I can make it even better by involving these other people and directing them as well. That's incredible at such a young age and um, highlights really like how far you've come to today too, right? That you're actually doing that, you know, um, as a big part of your life. And I know that you and I have talked a lot, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one in, in, in pre-calls. And I wondered if you would elaborate a bit for listeners on your circumstances um, growing up because I don't, I don't want to use the words. It's not just that you experienced physical abuse because I don't want to just anything, right? Everybody's trauma is valid, but there were a lot of circumstances that, for example, at 12 years old, you know, you were responsible at one point for applying for your family's social assistance. 
an, an incredible amount of responsibility while you were still in your childhood and, and teen years. I wonder if you would um, talk about what feels comfortable for you about your circumstances. Just Oh, sure. Yeah. I sure can share. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I remember having, you know, um, this um, sexual assault abuse um, happened from a very young age when my uh, mother decided to help us when she found out it wasn't when she decided I should say when she found out Mm -hmm. Um, because for a long time I kept it from her because being abused you're told not to tell Mm -hmm. and so as children we're scared and we trust adults and we think adults know best and so we listen and then there was a time where I finally you know told my mother and my mother you know spoke about it and unfortunately because I'm not the first generation of sexual assault in our family. My mother didn't know what to do. She was also abused, you know, as a child. And she also came from a family where, you know, there was abuse. It wasn't probably, it wasn't within her family, but it was people outside the family. Mm -hmm. So she didn't know how to deal with it herself. And then we lived in a family, like I said, where I was first generation. So my mom didn't speak read write English she didn't know how to drive she never even worked in the country that we were living in so for her to get up and walk away was really hard because she didn't even know where we were going um and when my, my mom left and the rest of the family didn't understand what was happening and why were we trying to escape um no one wanted to talk about it because abuse Um, in the 80s and maybe even today or even you know back then it doesn't matter when it was no one wants to talk about it no one wants to admit that these things happen in your family that they happen to your children that they happen to your loved ones so everyone shines you know their the right eye or I don't I'm probably saying that one wrong and no one wants to help so my mom had to make a decision do I stay here and possibly subject my daughter to abuse or do I leave and figure it out on my own and my mom made the right choice she did you know she leave she left and figured it out on her own but like I said it was detrimental for us because she didn't speak the language of this country she's never worked she her immigration status was not where she can you know access health help health benefits jobs nobody wanted to hire her so for the grace of God there was a family that helped us, but we were homeless for about a year and a half um, while my mom, you know, left the family to where we, you know, where we were able to be better. It was a whole year and a half. And I, you mentioned a couple things. So going through that process, I had to grow up, you know, suddenly um, I was an adult and I was only 11 years old. Um And because I spoke English and my mom didn't speak English, I had to miss school to go with her to the welfare office. I had to learn how to fill out forms. Um, And I think you hit it on the spot. That was the first time at the welfare office where I met my first angel, Um, the woman who helped us. she she was like beyond oh my god I've never heard such a tragic story what can I do to help 
And so I started to learn, you know, how to help people early on, because here I am, I have this person in front of me who's teaching me um, from example. And so I think that's probably where my passion for social work started, was seeing that there was people out there, it started with that family that took us in, they let us live in their attic for a year and a half. Um, until we, my mom was able to at least get on welfare and find, you know, subsidized housing. And then even when we were on our own, my mom struggled. She didn't speak English. She had, she was not a citizen. No one wanted to hire her, give her a job. And so there was many times where, you know, I opened the refrigerator and all we had was maybe some hot dogs, uh, half a gallon of milk and some cheese. And we were hungry. And, you know, um, and we and I did things I did things that were unconventional to try to figure out a way to make ends meet, you know, and my mom and I would go scrub toilets. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Um, There was anything, anything that would create money, I would do it. And because of that, desperation then you get naive and you do things that you shouldn't do um and you know and it's easy for someone to say hey kid I'll give you some money if you go drop this off you know and you're looking at it oh my gosh five bucks five bucks at that time will buy me uh some eggs you know a gallon of milk and then maybe some bread and some more hot dogs that's how I saw it mm-hmm. and so you know I and and then I'm still a child so I, I'm still trusting adults. I already have all this, um, how do you say it, blurred understanding of mm-hmm. what is the the safe zone with an, with an adult. I don't know. So I'm so trustworthy because I've, I've, I grew up skewed not knowing where boundaries are. So that I, you know, and so then you end up putting yourself in more situations that are potentially dangerous for you. And then because we lived in subsidized housing in Stockton, we lived in an area that was so bad. I mean, it was a lot of drugs, gang violence, um, a lot of um, people being killed. Um, So we lived in the heart of that. A lot of people on drugs that were walking around. Uh, I saw saw a lot of things throughout my life. um, And I just... I, I had no time for myself at that point mm-hmm. other than to survive. Survival was all I knew. There is no more time to even write stories or make anyone laugh. It was like, I have to figure out a way to, to make it out of here. Yeah. I recall when we were talking previously, it's, it's going to stay with me probably the rest of my life. You were talking about coming home in the rain with a cart of groceries and trying to keep the rain off the groceries because you like have these groceries and you're trying to get it home for your family and the amount of responsibility that is on anyone, much less someone who is still um, a child and going through, you know, neighborhoods where you didn't feel safe. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you and what a tremendous um, journey that you've been on and, and how much love and, and honor and respect I have for you oh thank you just to and I'm sure your your family too like your sister and your your mom or whoever else was living in your household um I'm sure they recognize that um in you as well uh 
And you've mentioned already one um, teacher, mentor, angel that showed up in the social assistance office. I'm curious if you would tell us more about some of the people who started to appear along your path that kind of helped you. I mean, I'm I'm convinced you were going to make it out no matter what happened because <laughs> you, you had that determination from such a young age. But then I think, you know, some people might call it divine intervention. It could be, you know, you could call it a lot of things, but kind of tell us more about these coincidental angels who showed up in your, in your path. Oh yeah. So um, in Stockton, because it was considered rural at the time in the nineties, um, they had a lot of summer youth jobs for children up to the age from the age of 13 and older could participate in um in summer work and so because like i said i i i would go to the nearby market and tell them i'll unload i'll clean and they would pay me 20 bucks five dollars under the table sometimes they wouldn't even pay me they just give me groceries or food um whatever, I would try to hustle any single way. So when I found out that they'd pay you to go to summer, summer jobs and learn employable skills, I signed up, I was the first one that signed up. And um, when they interviewed me, you know, they asked me, what are some of the things you love to do? So I told them I love to tell stories. I love to take pictures, I love to do film. Um, and, you know, and, and if I had a dream job, it would be an office, right? Because I don't know what a filmmaker looks like. So I just put an office. So I was so lucky that the marketing director for the program actually never had an intern or a youth in his office. And he picked me because when he saw all that, he was like, you know what, I'll take a chance. And uh, I was his first youth. And so, um, my first assignment was to type a piece of paper. And I told him, I don't know how to type. And then he said, okay, we'll get started. Here's the dictionary. Type every single word. And let me know, know when you're done because you need to learn how to type this summer because I'm going to teach you how to use the camera. I'm going to teach you desktop publishing. You're going to, I'm going to throw you out there um, to, to learn, you know, how to do documentaries, you know, like, because they not documentary, sorry, PSAs, commercials, because this mm -hmm. is what we do in, in, in my department, he says, I'm the marketing director. And you're going to help me uh, figure out how to promote our program. And he said, you're going to be the face of the program. And I still have the newspaper clipping, I just have to find it. So he put me on the summer jobs and I was on billboards all over Stockton oh, with my, my face <laughs> and I was like no I don't want to see my face and he was another angel that was put into my life and and you were this is let me tell you so when he met me the first day not only did he give me a dictionary I showed up I showed up to work because I didn't know what work was like or how mm -hmm. you're supposed to dress in a white t-shirt with some Nike Cortez and some Dickies mm -hmm. because that's the way the kids in my neighborhood dressed up all the gangsters and we all dressed and you had to assimilate in order to yeah. not get beat up or be part of the gang and I showed up to work that day he looked at me and he was like oh my gosh we got work to do with this kiddo and then he told me yeah um we're gonna have to take you shopping you can't wear those things at work um, he said, it's okay. He said, you're learning. That's the whole point of the program. 
And so, of course, and then every summer until I turned 18, he hired me. Wow. Every summer he hired me and um, the people that took over, because there was a point when I think I turned 16, he had to leave because he ended up going to the Bay to a different job. Mm-hmm. He made sure that they hired me and they continued to nourish my, my passion for film and marketing and all media relations. Wow. That is it's such an important aspect of like, you're you're coming from this position where it's like you would have done anything for someone to give you five dollars to help you buy groceries but to actually learn these critical skills and to do something you enjoy and have someone who believes in you and invests in you and then even make sure after they're gone that you're going to be continued to be looked out for that's incredible yeah and and the thing is that I think that's where my other angel kicked in was because Mm -hmm. Not only was I doing summer jobs, I was going to uh, school. Um, Then I was also working part-time at a local market as a cashier, Mm -hmm. 20 hours a week, because I was doing everything I could in order to get money. And then I was probably still doing things I shouldn't have done in the neighborhood um, because I had to figure out a way to just help my mom pay the rent. Welfare didn't pay the rent. Well, welfare paid the rent. They didn't pay the food. They didn't pay all the other necessities. They didn't pay the toilet paper. They didn't pay the toothpaste. You need to brush your teeth. They didn't pay the soap. You need to take a shower. They didn't pay the water, the electricity. There was times where we didn't even turn on the electricity or we didn't even have electricity because we couldn't even pay the bill. So we just figured it out. Thank God we had a gas stove because that was so handy when we wouldn't pay the bill. Mm-hmm. And there was times where we had to take a shower outside with the water hose. We had to do what we had to do to survive. Um, and it wasn't even our water hose. It was probably the neighbor's water hose. Oh, my goodness. How did things progress from because I know you said um, you met someone who allowed you to live in their attic for mm-hmm. a year and a half. What what changed between, if you know, I don't know if you know, because you were still pretty young, what changed in that year and a half that allowed you to be able to to get housing of of your own? So actually, I do know because the the lady um, who um, who we lived with mm-hmm. was the one who told us where the welfare office, because now we, we came from Tracy. So we lived in the farm in Tracy oh. and now we were in Stockton in a city and we had no idea what the city mm-hmm. was like other than sometimes we would come into town to shop and then go back home mm-hmm. so we were only familiar with x y and z right right so she told us here's the welfare office you know here's the post office here's you know the things that you needed in order to to start the process of accessing help and so um and she was a nurse so she was not available so i had to figure it out So that's what changed. So between the year and a half was that we were finally able to get on um, assistance and then subsidized housing. And so then my mom was able to then, you know, say, hey, we would like to give you back your attic. Uh, I think we're ready to move, you know, move out. Mm -hmm. And the lady was like, are you sure? And then my mom's like, yeah, we have to figure this out. You know, we can't live here forever. Um, And even when we lived there, my mom would give the lady $50 a month and the lady didn't even want to take it, but she said, I'm only taking it for the principal because 
this $50 is going to turn into $300 a month for rent. So you better get used to figuring out how to, how to pay your bills. And, um, and then that's where, that's where it all started. And that's what changed was the, the fact that I was there with my mom filling out all the forms, all the medical forms. I think I even told you, I still have my last food stamp checkbook Mm -hmm. because I feel like I earned that. I had to to go to all the appointments. I had to fill out all the paperwork. Mm-hmm. I had to um, walk to the welfare office and I'm and the welfare office was uh, 11.5 miles one way. And I oh. walked to the welfare office with my mother. That's a marathon. Yeah. I'm just like literally like a marathon yeah. is 26.2. I think, I think it's 26.2 miles. Yeah. So you're basically doing a marathon through public transit likely Mm -hmm. right or walking yeah it was a combination of both so we would we would have to when we had no money for the bus we'd walk it when we had money for the bus we rode the bus it was a luxury to be in in an air-conditioned bus that's how Mm -hmm. we would see it it was a limousine that's what we'd call it well that's what I called it in my stories yes we'd ride the the limousine (laughs) My word. When I, um, so the book that I wrote called The End of Me, I taught for um, a year at a local uh, school here in Oak Park in Sacramento. And I was told by the uh, principal, you can't assign homework. I was like, what do you mean I can't assign homework? And she said, there's a lot of kids that don't have space at home. They don't have a computer. They don't have like supplies or whatever to do things like that. And, and I, but I kind of forgot, like she just initially told me you can't assign homework. And I had just asked kids, they were working on an art piece. And I said, Oh, just finish it and bring it next week. And I guess it caused like absolute pandemonium. They didn't say anything to me, but they went to the the principal. And then one of the students came the next week and was so upset and just said they couldn't finish it because they lived on buses. They lived on city buses. And so they would just ride different buses through the night. Um, if they were allowed to, and sometimes they would get kicked off and then have to go into a park to sleep. And they were, they were virtually homeless. And I was so like, I had no idea and had, you know, went to speak to the, I was like, what can we do to help? And she's like, Oh, they get three meals a day through the school. She's like, that's why I said, don't assign homework because they'd outside of the classroom, they don't have a place to complete Mm. these things so that that's like a whole other added challenge right that that so many kids um unfortunately can face that makes it difficult and like you just said it was you talking about being on the bus and it's like the air-conditioned limousine right that that's a a treat whereas a lot of people it's like the bus is just a place to get to and from how these perspectives I hope everyone who's listening is kind of listening to that perspective about how how lucky so many of us are to never have experienced something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And just the impact of your story and really truly how far you've come. And I, it's hard to encapsulate all of this in an hour, you know, (laughs) in this, in this show. Um, But besides teachers and mentors and even your mom, I want to give a shout out to your mom too, because, you know, it took a lot of courage for, for her to do that too. Like, and, and, and do the right thing, as you said, pulling you out of a situation that was threatening your life. Um, what has been the most helpful or some of the most helpful things that you've 
gone through in terms of healing, like in freeing yourself from from this history of abuse on on multiple levels. And I know you mentioned something about dream boards in one of our conversations. I don't know if that's part of it, but I kind of wanted to start that conversation too about what has helped you. I don't want to just dwell in the in the bad parts of mm-hmm. your story, but like what what helped? So um from that angel to the next angel who mm-hmm. was during my high school. Okay. Um, I had a counselor who didn't understand why I missed so much work and still passed tests, classes. Mm-hmm. I was um, not a straight A student, but I had um, a good grade, you know, a good GPA enough that it was noticeable that I went to school probably a third of what kids went mm-hmm. versus to, you know, to have those type of grades. And so, you know, you could tell the way I was dressed that I was up to no good. So she kind of knew. And so she put me in a program called American University for Women, which was um, women who were retired and were volunteering to um, work with at-risk youth or not even at risk. I don't even think, I think I was probably the first at risk youth that was ever picked up by the program. Mm -hmm. It was women who were minorities who had the potential to go to college, but didn't understand the process. Okay. And so, um, I got selected and when they saw me, everybody there, they were not used to the type of girl that, that I was, you know, I'm just going to label it. I was considered a little gangster, you know? And they were like, she's doing here how does she even have grades you know those kids they're not smart you know oh yeah kind of attitude towards me and the lady who picked me for for the program was just appalled when she heard my story and everything I went through she couldn't believe it so she was like I'm gonna do everything I can to expose you to get you out to put it in your head that you're gonna go to college if I have to fill out your paperwork you're so bright she said, you have to go to college. There's no mm. way, you know, so what? You don't know how to spell words correctly right now. English is your second language. You're learning pronunciation. She said, you're going to go to college. And so I guess I bring her up because um, she she helped me go to college. And then when I went to college, then there was the other angel mm-hmm. that helped me. And that angel with along her at the same time, it seemed like it happened when I was um, 18. Mm-hmm. They both told me it wasn't my fault what happened. And that changed the whole trajectory of my life. That was the first time I had ever heard even my mom. My mom had never said it to me. I don't think because I don't think she understood. She was also uh, abused as a child. So I don't think she knew how to give me the coping skills to help mm-hmm. and better myself other than to just rescue me and then be on survival mode and protect me. And that was it. But the whole advice and talk me through the process and, and put me, you know, give me the, the, the tools to better myself or to figure out how to look for help. The, these came from the women in my life that, that got put there because these women were the ones that were telling me it's not your fault. We need to figure out how to get you some counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to understand that, you know, you have all this potential. And, and at that time 
I couldn't talk about it like I talk about it now. I would break. I I didn't understand like the the moment that the whole abuse stuff come up. I would just turn into like a ocean of water because I hadn't dealt with it. And the mm-hmm. and the therapy through my storytelling was just a band aid on on a wound that was gushing, mm-hmm. and then being occupied throughout my childhood with trying to survive was probably what kept me going because I never dealt with it, you know? And that was the first time that I was actually starting to deal with my trauma was because someone told me it wasn't my fault, but all that time I must've felt it was my fault because I didn't realize how hurt I was until I heard those words were, it wasn't your fault. And I felt like it was my fault. And all the things that I had lived through was punishment for, for being dirty and for being nasty and for subjecting myself to this abuse for a long time. Yeah. It's the things that our, our mothers, grandmothers, aunties, neighbors, they are not equipped. Like you said, people aren't used to talking about these things. It's like kept hidden away which gives an implication of fault. Some kids are told that it is their fault. And, you know, societally, I think too, we make, um, it implies implies blame the, the wrong way, right? Like people mm-hmm. really need to be looking in a different direction. It's like this reverse psychology. It sort of feels like once somebody told you it wasn't your fault, you were like, Oh, I didn't, I never thought that it was my fault, but Oh, maybe I have been blaming myself all this time. And then all that emotion comes up and is, is freed from that, from that cage in a sense. Right. Cause I think you're, it's I've been listening to a lot on um, the midlife change that, you know, women go through and men do too <laughs> for a fact, but, you know, focusing on women and they're saying that a lot of that, um, our experience of going through midlife is greatly influenced by what happens during, um, you know, when the menstrual cycle first starts and like your first sexual experiences, all those things impact your life, your psychology, your hormones. So when it comes around time for that next change of life, all of that is impacted by, you know, what happened when you were younger. And because so many things aren't talked about and aren't dealt with, like, these problems sometimes help um, perpetuate themselves, but I, I love the divine intervention that you had with each, you know, starting with your mom, remove, believing you, removing you from the situation. And then one by one, you started to meet all these people who kind of helped project you into that next stage um, of your life. And I know you yourself, incredibly, you've already given back through volunteering with youth and at, at risk youth themselves completing their GED programs. I'm wondering what types of things you've witnessed doing that, um, both positive and or negative that we can learn from. Um, have you, like, have you talked to those kids at all about your story or what's your relationship like with, with your own family? If I can ask, like with your kids, do you talk about these kinds of things openly with them and yeah, that's multiple yeah, questions. I know, right? <laughs> Let's see where I can start. So, yeah. um, you know, once I got to that point where I was able to start to help myself and and I feel like, 
you know, I'm always going to be a, a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Always. I always tell everybody when you've had trauma, it's, it's going to be bits and pieces that come up sometimes throughout your life and then you'll figure it out. But I've gotten to the point where I'm okay. But that's been a while already. I want to say since probably 2011, I've been okay. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been able to give back. So I've been, because I am a social worker, I get to put myself in situations where I can give back or even in the programs that I work, where I can work with different populations that I can touch and help them um, change their trajectory too. Because I always tell everyone, think of it as as a rock or pebble that you throw into the water, that little ripple effect. Mm -hmm. It's not only going to change that person, but it's going to change every single generation that comes from that person. And so I make it a point that if I can relate to someone and understand what they're going through, because obviously I feel like God gave me all these different things that happened to me because this was what my walk was going to be, was to help people to figure out ways to put that message out there, whether it was through actually producing films in Mm -hmm. those topics, helping other people with their projects of similar topics, or just even for a good time. Good time laughs helps trauma heal too. Um, I feel like that's where, um, where, where, where God wants me. So you brought up a GD program. So there was a, a project that I did where I volunteered time to help at-risk youth between the ages of 17, because a lot of them get kicked out of high school and they're forced to do their GD. Um, and then all the way up until the age of 24. And um, I did it for, I think, like three years in a row. And I got to meet these group of um, of young people that some of them, I still talk to them and I love them to death. Um, and I did the same thing that all these mentors in my life did. I I gave them pointers. I, you know, I helped them with workforce development. I, I helped them. Um, talk about their, their, you know, their trauma and figure out ways if they were open to it, of course. Right. Because I would, what I would do with this GD program was we had, they had to go to GD class and in order to participate in these extracurricular activities that I would do, they would have to make sure they attended school. So then I would wait for them after school. And then I would do projects that would help them build self-esteem, plan their, their next future goals, uh, the dream board was one of the projects that we did. Okay. I I did, um, you know, peer therapy where we talked about things that were going on. I taught them how to write stories. And I told, you know, we even had like a little project where we did good news in Del Paso Heights. And they would, instead of focusing on all the negative things that were happening, I would tell them, find some things to write about. And and then we I would teach them how to put it together, like in a little pamphlet magazine so then we can you know hand it out to um, you know local entities to see if we can find some funding to you know make it a possible organization unfortunately I never uh, found the outlet to do that but those three years and those three different groups of people a lot of them I still see them and I talk to them um some of them went on to college, some of them decided to work, some went to trade school. And, and then they, they're doing the same thing that, that I did. They're giving back in their own way. 
um, because they told me, oh my gosh, Miss G, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have this job. And now I have a house and a car and have family. So I got to help kids who are in similar situations as me. And so I feel like all, even through all the trauma and all the storm and everything I went through, those were opportunities for me to pick up all the tools I would eventually use to help people. Those are my chisels, my, 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 my tools that are helping me change, make change in this world, whether it's for myself, my own family, with my own family, you know, I, I only have one daughter, I wish I had a loo of children, but I was so traumatized for a long time that I thought that I would never be able to be a good mother to a child, because I felt that even myself, I would put that child in danger, not because I would want to do anything to the child, just because I was like, what if I don't protect the child, something happens to the child, you know, it's going to be my fault, because I I wasn't on watching them 24 seven, and I'm not guarding them. And, and just the thought that 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 I could have a child that could experience anything that I experienced was just a, a terrifying thought. And I didn't want to be a mother because I didn't want another child, especially with the statistics that one in three persons are abused. It doesn't matter what type of abuse. And then you go into sexual assault, one in four women, one in five men. I was like, I don't want my child to be a statistic for God's sakes. I was the fifth generation in our family that had been sexually assaulted. And like I said, it wasn't the same person. It was just something that just happened in our family and no one talked about it. And in the moment my mom spoke up about it, it was like, oh my God, that does not happen in our family. No one in our family has ever been sexually abused. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't happen. We're a good family. We have a name that we have to uphold. No one in this family goes through trauma. No one talks about it. If you go to a counselor, you're crazy. You don't know how to deal with your own problems. You don't, you don't know how to um, raise children. You're not a fit mother because obviously your child was abused and it's your fault because you didn't know how to watch your kid. So I heard all those things and I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, if I, my child gets abused, then my child will be sixth generation and I was a terrible mom. You take so much on from that. That's like, I think of it in, in terms of breaking generational curses. And I think we all, every family has them from <laughs> in one form of another, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, sexual, all of the above. Um, and it really takes that rift, like that's somebody that says no and stamps down that that stops with me. But that that fear is real there too. You know, as a listeners know, and you know, I'm a, a mom of two daughters. I've had the exact, I knew I always wanted to be a mom, but it was the the opposite of like, well, this is not going to happen to my children if if I raise them. Like I was determined that I was going to have this vision, but the fear is very real every day, right? That that's something that happened to you could happen to them. And we don't want that. But I think you, you have, a your mom broke that, you broke the cycle speaking up. Your mom broke the cycle by saying, we're out of here. And as, as hard as that was, that's a ripple effect for you and your family, for your daughter going forward. Um, thank you so much for being so vulnerable to, to talk about, to, about it. So matter of factly, um, and I, I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about your 
work? Because I know you've done 10 different films. What are some of the stories, some of the screenplays, some of the, the things like your heart and soul that really went into? What are some of those stories about? What are they called? Where can people find them? I know you sent me a list of um, some of your IMDb uh, listings, so I will put those in the show notes. But I would like to um, to hear you kind of talk about some of the passion projects that have meant the most to you over the last few years. Uh, so the one that you mentioned earlier where a teacher challenged me to write a script and then I ended up entering into a contest. I kind of saw that, like I said, I tell stories and I don't really, um, they're not all about me. It's kind of about things that I've seen, but it had some some personal experiences um, that, you know, I, 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 I was dealing with a lot. And when you don't have a healthy way of um, to have, you know, to deal with uh, trauma, you do it in an unhealthy way, uh, whether it's through um, isolation, drinking, drugs, eating, you know, people figure out a way to cope, you know, um, and so I did this script on um, a young man who was being neglected and and so he was abusing drugs and then he turned to the streets of Sacramento and then he got a different outcome. So there's some truth to the stories that I write because I feel like a lot of people go through stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of kids who sometimes don't have anyone to talk to uh, or no one believes them. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to show that, that there are kids that, you know, they do go to the streets and not all of them are bad. You know, um, that you don't start off as bad. You're a canvas. You're you're a white canvas. And as things happen, then the paint starts to splash on. And is unfortunately, sometimes the paint doesn't stay within the lines. It, you know, it goes past the lines and and then it starts to get messy. And then you try to fix it and you can and it gets worse and then there, then there's the day where you realize, oh, I could use white paint and start all over, you know, and then you can create the canvas that you want, the picture that you want. And so that was why I created that story was because I feel like a lot of youth tend to do things that they shouldn't. Um, and then angels pop out of nowhere and guide them. And, and if you're listening and if your heart's intact, even if it's broken or in tiny little pieces, you can always hear him. And when I say him, I speak of God. It doesn't matter what God you believe in. God is a piece of all of us. We're all brothers and sisters. And you can hear him, her, whatever you want to put the label on it. He speaks to your soul to give you everything that you need in order to find the path back to where you were intended to go. His promise will never um, be broken. People may try to take it. You got to remember, because a lot of times people say, why does this happen to me? Why would God allow such a thing? God doesn't allow things. We have free will. As humans, we do what we want to. People do to us what they want to, obviously, because it's their will. But you have to listen and just pay attention because those people that will help you, they are there waiting. Whether it's through you and, and your podcast, you'll touch someone. 
maybe with my words, maybe mm. with a different show, somebody, you could be on the, in the bus stop and someone might just say to you, Hey, have a wonderful day. And that, Hey, have a wonderful day might change your day for that day. Maybe that day you were planning on, on doing something you shouldn't. And that, Hey, was like, wow, that person acknowledged me. They recognized that I, that I'm, that I'm here. Yeah. Making a difference with just the smallest that's coming back to the ripple mm-hmm. effect again, you really never know. And it's interesting. I think I've, I'm not sure if I've said this on a podcast episode <laughs> We're we're 51, 52 episodes deep now. Um, but when I do get feedback from somebody, it's sometimes it's people that I know and know well, and they just like, they're like, oh, I just caught up on like 10 episodes and I loved so-and-so this, this, and that. And I had the best time listening to it. Or it's a complete stranger in another country who just takes oh, the time awesome. to write a little note saying, I just discovered this podcast from, so thank you so much. Like what so-and-so said really changed my life. And so that's the thing, like this is, you know, an approximately hour long episode, but there could be one thing that you said that really hits home for somebody. And that's my hope. That's my hope that in doing this, we're, we're connecting with each other. We're connecting to each other's community, to our greater, you know, Sacramento, California, United States, Canada, you know, uh, that ripple effect going out um, and that you, you have come so far in terms of your situation to be able to even see it that way. When you were talking about um, working with youth, you just lit up like your whole face lit up and you were smiling. Like I can see, I feel like I can see that that is healing for you too, to, to work with them and to see them blossom and like make a change in their life and their community it's just, it's incredible. And I, I want to ask you about how you see your work unfolding in the next um, coming years. I think you're working on a book and more screenplays. So what do you, what does Griselda have on the, on the, on the radar for, for moving forward from here? Oh my goodness. So I'm go- I'm going to work on this book and the screenplay. I hope mm-hmm. to be you know, full of projects where I'm just a hundred percent living in this imaginary world that has helped me heal, mm. so I can continue to just have good laughs and meet people and help people, um, you know, achieve their dreams. Because I think one of the things I didn't mention and I want to quickly mention is that mm-hmm. the projects I work on when they're when I finance them because I get to do what I want to do with them, I include anyone, any person who has the dream or the passion of doing it, even if it was just like, I want to try it to see if I want to do it. And then, because I feel like anyone can dream, anyone can be creative Mm -hmm. um, as long as they're willing to listen and be passionate and um, be reliable. Cause that's what I say. Patience and reliability go a long way Um, and willing, willing to learn. Um, anyone can do film. Um, anyone like gratitude, anybody can cook, <laughs> anybody can do film. And so that's, that's what I hope to see myself is just, um, I hope that people hear this and maybe some director, executive producer says, Hey man, I, I would love to work with that energy. Bring, let's bring her on. So that's how I see myself. I see myself in the next three years, slowly transitioning from an eight to five job that pays the bills to a, to a who knows what time 24 seven fun job where I'm living my dream. 
And then in the future, I know for sure this is going to happen because I, I already started planning it. Um, I'm going to have um, a studio garage and we're going to do some um, therapy and healing through the arts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able, I know, I already know because this here today is the beginning of that trajectory where I'm going to be able to create a platform to help so many people heal through something that a lot of people love art. And, and I know I'm going to do it. And that's, that's where I see myself. And that's where, those are some of the things that are cooking in Griselda's kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's on fire in a good way, in a very good way. How can our listeners support you? Do you have a website, contact information, Instagram, however they can get in touch to learn more and, and, you know, be a part of what you're doing, contribute towards you're doing financially, creatively, educationally, or, or otherwise, what's the best ways? Oh my goodness. I I've never even thought, uh, financially, Hey, give me a job. I love to earn all my pennies. So I, you can do it that way. Um, if anyone wants to partner in any, um, anything related to media, you can email me. I'll leave you my contact information. I have an Instagram where I put all my photography. Um, so you're more than welcome to like those. Um, and then I'll give you all the YouTube links for the videos, but for me, just, um, continue to pass on the message of, um, being a pebble in someone's, uh, someone's, how do you say it? Um, when there's a lot of waves, um, Mm -hmm. and someone's storm make, make, make that ripple effect in someone's storm change, help, help change. That's the best way you can help me. And then the second way you can help me is, um, if you know of any opportunities, um, I love to work on, on sets. I've done everything from music videos to commercials, to shorts, uh, the dream is a feature, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, get my name out there. I'm, um, I have a good, uh, record <laughs> so far. I've done a great job from all the people that have hired me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even just the, I mean, the project we worked on together, you were doing a lot of the interviews and like, you were so prepped, you had everything done and printed beforehand. You had already made a connection with the person so that by the time you met them live, they were like, oh, it's Griselda. And I, you know, they felt comfortable. Like you're just such a um, a warm, intelligent, inviting and fun person. Like those are all the things, those initial vibes that I got from you and people want to work with you. So if you're looking mm-hmm. for a producer um, or a creative director on a project, um, I can definitely not say enough good things about Griselda. And we'll be sharing her links on the my.yoga.audio Instagram page. I will also include them in the show notes for this episode. So you can have those live links click right in there for how you can reach her. And I would encourage everybody to, to heed her important words about, about passing it on, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's trauma is, is too small or, or too big um, to be able to heal from. And that part of that healing can really, can be kind of twofold following your dream, right? Like just getting to that place that 
you know, may have been a crutch when you were in a tough situation, but like fulfilling that dream can really take you to the place of healing that you need or be part of the healing that you need and then giving back to others, right? Where's your opportunity to, to show somebody the way to be one of those angels that Griselda encountered on, on her journey. Um, and that's reverberating today. So my dear, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I hope that, you know, like, this is one thing I tell people, uh, there's doors that shut on you. And it's okay, because those doors are meant to be shut. But there's doors that God opens that no one can shut or open but him. And I feel like this is like I said, this is the beginning of that. And I'm on my way. So Thank you again for the opportunity and to the listeners out there, continue to support Megan and um, my yoga audio. So Maya, please continue to support her and spread the word because you're also doing an amazing job of doing healing through mind, soul, therapy, body, um, because this, this is a good outlet to be able to have a platform to talk about the things that no one wants to talk about. Uh, this this mm-hmm. is where it all starts this is where where the little pebbles start to hit the water and start to make all those ripple mm-hmm. effects yeah the impacts so share this episode so whether you're on youtube or whether you're listening to the to podcast i want to encourage people to share if there's something in this that made you think of somebody else share it with them like click the link and send it over because it, it can help for somebody to hear at least that's our hope right that it will help somebody so mm-hmm. thank you Griselda thank you to thank all you. the listeners who are here today because it's always a great time for your mind your body and your soul I'm going to add thanks to Griselda <laughs> to be on the mat and we'll be following up our next episode after this will be another guided meditation Um, But in the meantime, please enjoy this interview and signing off for now. Bye.